0: John Duggan made the prediction that Spurs are going to split the top two he thinks his (laughs) club are going to finish ahead of Liverpool but do you think Spurs can finish ahead of Liverpool?
1: No Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports
2: app The Saturday Panel on Off The Ball
1: this is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. It is Fulham 1, Liverpool nil in the Premier League on the opening day, Saturday-wise of the season. And the second half is just underway. You can text us 53106 for streaming the conversation as well. You can listen on News Talk. Watch us on the Off The Ball digital and social channels. For Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app, we're reviewing the Sporting Week. We're joined on the line by the Irish Independent sports writer and the former Offaly Hurler, Michael Verney and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach, Timmy McCarthy. Michael and Timmy, good afternoon
0: how are you john hi john how are you doing hi michael good to hear from you, you. Yep.
1: good to speak to you lads um we're going to start with the very sad news about the untimely passing of dylan quirk 24 year old tipperary senior hurler the tipperary county board issuing a statement last night uh, which read that Tipperary G.A. extends his heartfelt and sincere sympathies to Dan Hazel, Shannon Kelly and the extended Quirk family, also to the Clonalty Ross Moore G.A. Club and his teammates on the sad and tragic passing of Clonalty Ross Moore and Tipperary hurler Dylan Quirk. Dylan became ill during Friday evening's County Senior Hurling Championship game between Clonalty Ross Moore and Kilroon McDonough's in Semple Stadium was taken to Tipperary University Hospital in Clonmel where he passed away. Tipperary G.A. wished to thank all of those who attended to Dylan in Semple Stadium and in Tipperary University Hospital this evening. As a mark of respect to Dylan, Tabrari, GAA have called off all games due to take place in the county hurling championships this weekend. The GPA have also issued the following statement. The family, friends and teammates of Dylan Quirk are foremost in the thoughts of players across Ireland. We can't imagine your pain, but we'll walk with you and support you in any way you can. Rest easy, Dylan. We mourn your loss and celebrate your life. You will stay forever young. And tributes to Dylan from... Utherana Heron, Michael D Higgins, and um, Antishuk Michal Martin. And Michael, you played hurling. You covered the sport as a journalist. Just incredibly sad news today.
2: Uh, it's very hard to get your head around, John. To be honest with you, um, like Dylan Quirk, Dylan Cork was wing back for Tipperary there in this year's championship. Like, and he's no longer with us now. It's just very, very, very hard to believe. Uh, we were hurling last night ourselves, and we just got word uh, after the game that the the, the One and Clonoldy game have been called off. And that there was something serious at play. And then obviously the news filtered through uh, later last night. Just horrible, horrible news. 24 years of age. uh, A man uh, coming into his prime uh, as a hurler um, off the field. By all accounts, was described as a a gentle giant. You know, a, a guy who had time for absolutely everybody. Um, just really, really hard to, to get your head around it. Uh, deepest sympathies to everybody in the Ross Rossmore club and and his friends and family. I was I was at the 2018 county final. Dylan played uh, when they beat uh, Nina Rogue. It was their first county title to win in a while, and he was, you know, he's a big, big part of that and a big, big prospect within Tipperary hurling. Um, puts a lot of things puts a, puts a lot of things into perspective, but just really, really get hard to get your head around this one
1: and somebody with a bright future in the game at senior level michael
2: yeah oh, big time john yeah um he was wing he's probably maybe uh, better known as a forward but he was wing back this year uh, and he was one of their better players in in what was what was not a great year for tipperary um but a really really bright prospect had to take a a year out uh, a couple of years back uh, and then i think it, there was a, there was a couple of quotes going around uh Last night, I just saw in a couple of tributes to him. He scored four points. He was of the match in the league game in 2020. Um, and he just talked about, it. you know, he's waited his whole life for this. And that was his dream. And his dream was to represent his club and go on and represent Tipperary, And, um, yeah, it's just so sad and just deep sympathies to, to everybody involved. Just a, yeah, really, really tragic incident.
1: Yeah, Timmy, uh, somebody passing away doing something they loved and the J community is very good at rallying around uh, loved ones at this time and they will need to be.
0: Well, they'll definitely need to be for his family. I mean, is, you know, I mean, it's very tragic and we can just express our condolences, as Michael said. I mean, it's it's tragic. I mean, it's tragic. A, a young man in his prime playing a game that he loves, you know, um, with his club and with his parish and and then tragically gets ill and, and passes away. I mean, it's it's hard to get your head around it when you think, you know, I mean, you know, it is, you know, like I can remember, you know, years ago, oh, it was only all the people who passed on, you know, now age doesn't seem to be a factor anymore or, or, or as big a factor it was. And it's just very hard. And the GAA are very good as, as an organization in, in helping people, you know, through this as best as possible. But at the end of the day, the sad thing is, you know, a family has lost um, one of their own, a son, a brother, a, a cousin. And... You know, and that's not replaceable. I mean, and you know, the GA will do their best and they will and, and locally they'll do their best. But you just have to your heart has to go to the family on, on an occasion like this.
1: And very difficult as well, Michael, for the, the players who were on the pitch last night as well.
2: Oh, I can't imagine. Um I can't imagine. I was just reading a, an interview there with with Timmy Hammersley. Timmy would have played for Clunoldi all his life and is relocated to Bally Borden, um, and he's playing with Bally Borden this year and he just he said from a nearly not from a selfish point of view but just he he would have loved to be on the pitch with him and at least to try and help or do something you know what i mean and just i can't imagine what it was like on the pitch um was involved once in a you know a reasonably serious incident on a pitch when the game stopped and was called off but nothing to this scale i just for guys that have you know shared a dressing room with him all his life uh, i just can't imagine I can't imagine the sense of, of loss and grief, and you know it's it's only a couple of months since since Paul, Damien, Casey passed from Tyrone as well in tragic circumstances too. You know we've uh, he probably he'd probably be crowned Nicky Rackard uh, hurler of the year this year. Like the Ga has had a tough time the last couple of months, which uh, you know as as Timmy says, there it's not older people, it's active inter county players, and yeah, just really really uh, horrible for everybody involved.
1: Okay, Michael, and to me, well said. I think sport is what binds us. A very difficult day for the local community in Tipperary. Our thoughts and sympathies are with uh, Dylan's family, friends and teammates. Let's take an ad break. We're going to return with the Saturday panel after this.
2: The Saturday panel on Off
1: The Ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you three to five. There is 55 minutes on the watch at Craven Cottage. It is Fulham 1, Liverpool 0 in the Premier League. We're reviewing the sporting week with Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach, Timmy McCarthy. Michael, are you buzzed about the Premier League's return? The G.A. season's over at an inter-county level now. How are you feeling about it? What I love about the Premier League is anybody can beat anybody else on a given day and that's what Fulham are at the moment looking like they could do.
2: I'm probably a bit of an outlier, John. I'm I'm not particularly looking forward to it, and apart from my WhatsApp groups that have been dormant for the last couple of months, starting to fire into action again, um, I wouldn't have paid too much attention to it now, to be honest with you. But um, I, I listen, it's it's all for me. It's it's something probably that's there in the background. Uh, but I would have a more of a casual interest in soccer. But like, it's it's just mad to think, looking back at even three or four seasons ago, and even last year. Just the the heights and levels that would say Liverpool and City have got to. Imagine you could, you know, accumulate 97 points four years ago and 92 points last year and not win a Premier League. It's just something that we wouldn't have, you know, couldn't possibly have envisaged. Those two, uh, I, I see what you're saying there about beating, you know, a team's beating anyone on a given day. But those two in particular are, you know, soaring to new heights. And it's going to be really, really interesting to see if the gap uh, underneath them can be closed, or whether they extend further clear. Obviously, with with Erling Haaland coming as well, City, you're obviously going to get a nice little bounce off that. Um, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad right. into it. Like I, as I said, I'm a bit of an outlier. I cancelled my my sports uh, subscription on Sky last week, the week before the the Premier League returned. So I'm probably not. Uh, I'm probably an exception to the rule. I'd say.
1: Well, that's interesting. Fun we've just hit the post, by the way. Are your mates mad about it? Are they crazy? Liverpool, or United, or other clubs?
2: Yeah, yeah, big, uh, probably mostly Liverpool United, yeah, and it's just hopping, hopping over and back in WhatsApp groups. And do
1: they go I, I over? Just, is it their passion? You know?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, they're both absolutely mad. They're all mad into the be guys over there that would be over in Anfield four or five times a year. I was actually at the Champions. I went over to uh, to Madrid for the Champions League final four years ago, which was an unbelievable experience, especially because I have some loyalties to Liverpool, but for kind of casual loyalties. Um, so I, I, enjoy, I hugely enjoyed that aspect of it. But I more sit back and stir the pot, to be honest with you, more than, than diving in one way or another.
1: Well, we know, uh, Timmy McCarthy, from previous conversations, you're a Matt Chelsea fan. So are you buzzed about the new season?
0: Yeah, I'm really buzzed about it, John. Um, I'm not buzzed about Chelsea. I think Chelsea have, uh, are in a bit of a transition. But I just think that it'll be interesting to see what the new season brings with the World Cup in Qatar. I think that you know it's obviously started earlier. Um, it's going to have a break, you know, a big break. So that'll be interesting to see what, what what goes on. But I'm really looking forward to it. I think that, you know, some teams have really strengthened. I think Holland is in it. will be very exciting to watch. I think when he settles into England, I think he's a natural goal scorer. And he gives City such a huge edge in, in that sense. Your own club, Spurs, have really strengthened. And, you know, I'm a big Conte fan. I thought he did a brilliant job at Chelsea. And Arsenal, my grandson's uh, team, Carl his team, Arsenal, seem to have done you Know some good business in the summer, and so I'm really excited, John. I'm a bit worried about Chelsea because I think Sterling is a great buy. Uh, Cooley Valley, I think, is a, is a nice signing, but he just replaces Rudiger. And I think Couturella yeah, last night, I think, is another good signing for Chelsea. But we need somebody who's going to get a lot of goals, and you know, um, so that'll be a challenge. But I'm excited about it. I think it's you know, I think it's a pity the J season is finished, though, in the sense in the county. I think that also is a pity, uh, as well. But I'm really looking forward to it. The Premiership and and to see what develops over the year, you know, and see the um, people talk about City and Liverpool, and you know, I think City are ahead of everybody. Then I think Liverpool are next, and then I think that there's a bunch, you know, uh, of teams after that. And at this point in time, if you're a Man United fan, you must be really worried, John, because you know you kind of look to be in no man's land at the moment. You know, you have the Ronaldo issue going on. You have, you know, the Frankie De Jong from the Barcelona. That saga is going on and on. And it looks Chelsea. Uh, could sneak in and take him. So if you're a United fan, you know it must be a very difficult time. But I think for 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 us who love soccer, uh, I yeah I'm buzzing about it.
1: I'm just interested with in some stats Sarah done during the week. um to me by producer Shane Hannan just going through Irish players involvement in the first Premier League season 30 years ago it was over 64,000 minutes now it's less than 10,000 do we just have to accept with this Global League that the Championship is just as good as where maybe the Premier League was 30 years ago and that's okay to have really good Championship players forming the basis of an international team or do we need to continue to strive to get the Gavin Bazunus and the Nathan Collins into the Premier League because at the moment Irish football is not getting a look in in the Premier League
0: so we can do both. First of all, we can continue to strive to get players into the Premier League. But, you know, your point about the Championship as against the Premier League, when we had, you know, you know a lot of players at the top, the elite level in England, the, the first division or the early days of Premiership, um, it was really a, a sort of, it wasn't as global a game. They weren't bringing players in, you know, particularly from Asia and Africa at that point in time. So, the game has changed fundamentally. You know, the, like South America has brought players into England in the last 10 or 15 years. So there is a big shift and that affects us. There's no doubt it affects us from an Irish point of view. Um, the, is the Championship as good as the old First Division or the early days of Premier? Um, it's probably still a, a level below that in that sense. But if we have players competing at the top end of the Championship and a number of players in the Premiership, then that's the best we can look for. Because in the global scheme of things, we still are a tiny island. You know, even though soccer is obviously the largest sport in the world, we're still a tiny island. So statistically, the chance of us getting players in against some of the larger continents or countries will still be statistically very low. So I at, at the moment, we have a couple of players in the Premiership. Um, we have a lot of players in, in the Championship. And that's probably, you know, um, as good as we, we we can expect. If we had Rice and Grealish, of course, we'd have players at the top end of the Premiership. But... As we spoke about many times, John, before, that didn't work out you know, as it should have worked out in my view for the Irish uh, team. But look, let's make the best of what we have at this point in time.
1: Uh, Also during the week, uh, Michael, Derek Ling got the Kilkenny gig. And it seems like a logical choice, doesn't it? Uh, Six All-Irelands. He's very much a player in the mould of Cody. He was very much a guy in the end room and midfield as a work-rate player, obviously talented as well. Um, Selector under Cody, 14 and 15, won the All-Ireland under-20s with the team as manager this year. Little fanfare about it. Maybe that's what Kilkenny needs. And hopefully uh, he does well.
2: Yeah, natural fit, John. Definitely a natural fit. Uh, just reading Eddie Brennan in her own paper yesterday saying there was, there was two guys in the Kilkenny dressing room that didn't speak too often, but when they did, his ears pricked up and everybody listened. One was Noel Hickey, the other was Derek Ling. Two guys that generally, uh, their actions spoke louder than words on the pitch. Um, he served his apprenticeship under Cody, stepped into the under-20 gig, probably had... Uh, a season or two probably tricky enough where they, learn, where they learned a lot and the results didn't go their way and they obviously won the All-Ireland this year um, I probably would have liked to have another year with the Kilkenny 20s because they have a, a huge amount of that crop that won the All-Ireland this year are all underage again next year but yeah definitely a natural fit and I'd imagine uh, a few of the guys that he had with him with the 20s would probably step up to senior level. Um he's gonna be known by all the players, he knows the scene really well, he's gonna be able to bring through all of those twenties. Um yeah, it's it's a real, real logical step to where never you know, it was that that's always who it was going to be. And to be to be fair, like in it obviously uh, off the record somewhat, I'm sure Brian Cody would have had a, a decent influence in who his successor was, no more than Alex Ferguson had in Manchester United when he stepped away after such a long time.
1: Yeah, but you're not going to get Brian Cody with a microphone at Nolan Park and um, tell everybody to back Derek Ling. Um, Timmy, the, uh, the worst thing I think anybody can do is compare Derek Ling to Brian Cody. You can't compare anybody to Brian Cody.
0: Well, there's no need to compare anybody to Brian Cody. Brian Cody had had his career and it was exceptionally successful. Uh, some people might argue he stayed a bit too 1-1, long
1: Darwin Nunes. Sorry to interrupt. 1-1, Darwin Nunes has scored his first Premier League goal for Liverpool. Fulham won, Liverpool won 63 minutes in the watch. Timmy, continue.
0: So, as I said, there's no need to compare him to Brian Cody. He's been phenomenally successful, uh, even though some people might argue he stayed a little bit too long in the end. I think Derek Ling is a a typical Kilkenny appointment. There was no fanfare, there was no fuss. All of a sudden, it was just announced. And I think that he'd be an excellent choice for them. I really do think he'd be an excellent choice. Michael's point about Alex Ferguson, I I do hope that Derek Ling, uh, if he has got the stamp of approval from Brian Cody, will have a much more successful entry into his management career at senior level than... David Moyes at Old Trafford and many successes to David Moyes in that sense. But from a Kilkenny point of view, he's highly regarded. I mean, obviously, as a player, he was exceptional. the 20s, he's done a smashing job. And, you know, sport is about taking your opportunity. Michael said he might have liked another year in the early 20s. My view is, you know, he's got a great chance. You know, the Kilkenny won the All-Star final. They weren't a million miles away, a couple of points. And, you know, it could have been a different result on the day. So they weren't a million miles from what is seen as an exceptional Limerick team. I think he's a really good choice, and I think he's at the right time for him. You know, it's the right time for him right now. He's he's gotta you know bring in some of the twenties and and mix them with some of the experience. But you know, Kilkenny have shown consistently throughout history, you know, from a hurling point of view, they'll always be there or thereabouts. And I really believe it'll give a good boost to Kilkenny Hurling. Cody was phenomenal, had great success. I do believe he, it, it, it's the right time for a new guy to come in, and I wish Directing the very best luck in his journey.
1: This is a Saturday the panel with uh, Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and the former Irish team basketball uh, coach and uh, captain, uh, Timmy McCarthy. Um, Michael, should Shane Walsh just be allowed to move to Kilmocca Croaks without any hassle? Like you know, there's a precedent to the GA for players playing for clubs in different counties. I'm thinking of Kieran McGeaney and Rory Gallagher playing in Dublin here. I'm thinking even back to the eighties, two Kildare men, Larry Tompkins and Shay Fahi instrumental in Queen in all Irelands. Um there is a precedent. I don't really get the consternation that has come out of um Shane Walsh's club. Obviously gonna understand their anger and their frustration at Kilmucka Croaks, uh, that is um Kilkaren Clonburn, but surely he just be should be allowed to, to play for the of Croaks if he spending most of his time in Dublin.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it, John, is just the timing of it and the fact that he delivered one of the great All Ireland final performances maybe five or six days before the news broke. Um and a lot of it is the small, you know, the small rural club against the city super club, and that's how a lot of people would see it. But like I was just reading some of his quotes during the week. Like he he was basically traveling back with with John Divali, who's uh, the Galway coach. Um, like I, I drive home to train and I'm, for matches every when I when I can. It's an hour and a half, and I'd be dead by the time I got home. I'd have to drive home during the day, and I'd be struggling for a couple of days to go and do that for your club is a massive massive commitment. Uh, he also said that you know he wants to finish his career in Kilker and Clonburn you know if if I go and move to Melbourne or wherever and I go and I go and play with a club over there it's not an issue you're just playing your trade somewhere else and you're probably always going to come back um and I definitely think it's his intention to come back it's probably just not feasible for him to be doing that type of driving and he's obviously in college trying to study and put hours into that as well um I, it's probably just the timing of it John really probably the timing of it all and just in just in the wake of the All-Ireland final if this had come out February March I I, I think there would still be a reasonably big deal about it but it wouldn't be as big of a deal as, as it has been made of it now uh, from the club's point of view I totally see their point of view they have put god they've probably put 25 or 26 years of time and invested time into him but if it's the best thing for him I think he should be allowed to move on and I think Initially, maybe some of the quotes coming out of the club were, you know, we're going to fight this till the end or whatever. And then I think it's it's lax a small bit because yeah. they realise that's not that's not really the right way to go about it. If a guy you don't have any any animosity, he's you know he's doing them proud every time he goes out and plays for Galway. So I just think it's probably the time when have a John really um, made it a lot a lot of a much bigger deal than it probably is.
1: It just speaks to me, guys, about the contradictions in the GA. So. You know, you 82,000 people going to Croke Park paying 90 euro tickets. That's what, basic maths, over 7 million quid before costings. The guy studies in Dublin, the demands on intercounty players are as challenging as they've ever been. If you listen to Darren Donovan on the show from Limerick last week, he uh, illustrated that. So there's a push and pull over club wanting their local hero to go back to the club now during the split season, uh, inspire the kids, reinforce the amateur communitarian aspect of the GA, which is the bedrock, the foundation of the association. But there's also the reality, it's very hard for these players to train like professionals, which they're doing, not get paid, and then perform in front of 82,000 people. Like with the GA taking commercial money to put back into the association, there is a friction which has been managed, Timmy. It's almost like a pot, a boiling pot, and a lid on the top, and the lid is still on the top. But I wonder about the sustainability of it.
0: Well, the friction is club and county. If you take it in the most simple sense, the friction is club and county. And even in the fixture, you know, program, you know, they're splitting the season into club and county because that's where the real friction comes. In the first instance, club is purely amateur. I mean, the club is purely amateur. Yes, there are coaches around the country who allegedly are getting paid money to to coach and manage teams in in that sense. But it's a really amateur game at that level. At intercounty level, it's completely different. Even though they're still amateur players, the level of of training, support, um, and money put into the program brings it to a different level. It brings it to a semi-professional stroke professional level in that sense. So, So that's the first conflict. The second conflict is you know, it, it, your club wants you. So, you know, if, especially if you're a top player like like Shane Walters, your club wants you. And, you know, players will say, we'll always come back. But the reality is, you know, we don't know where he, his life will end up in, in that sense. So, from my point of view, from his, for for him, he should be allowed move. It's not, this is not the first time it has happened. You mentioned uh, Tompkins and, and Fahey and Cork and, and other players over the years. This has happened repeatedly. When somebody is living somewhere else, you know, they transfer to, to, to that location if they want to do it in that sense. So there is a friction. It's between the club, amateur level, and the intercounty semi-professional stroke professional level and the demands that has on the players. I mean, there, there, there are many situations where players can't train with the club at all because they're involved in intercounty county programs. So, so that dilemma and that friction is always there. There's the point about the finance that, you know, the, the finance that Croke Park bring in, on a Croke Park full occasion. And, you know, and, and how, you know, don't forget, it wasn't that long ago the GPA and Croke Park were arguing about expenses. You know, that wasn't that long ago. It was only a few months ago. You know, so even though there's a big commercial reality that the GM are making a lot of money out of it, the GPA still had a lot of issues about, you know, uh, players getting expenses, which was finally resolved. So I do believe that that conflict is always going to be there. And it will get bigger. It just will get bigger. When money is involved on one side of it, real significant, large chunks of money, either investing in the inter-county programmes or the um, revenue that is generated, you know, in, in the stadium, as against the local amateur, in it for the parish, you know, in it for the club, in it for your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your parents, your grandparents, you know, following legacies, that conflict will always be there and will just get bigger. And I think to see the fixture season um programme this year is a sign of the split between the county game and the club game.
1: Is there a stigma in, in terms of the word amateur, Michael, in the GA in that, you know, we see all the, the investment that goes into inter-county teams preparation and execution. Um, we co on the show last week, like speaking about how she's living the dream in Australia now as a professional athlete, athlete. probably the best ever ladies get footballer in this country, right? Uh, 11 All-Stars. So the amateur ethos to J is one thing but I'm just wondering how many J players if they had the opportunity like Cora has at the moment to play sport professionally if they got the chance I'd say the number would be quite significant. We've got Vicky Wall going on, down to Australia now to live the dream. Obviously it's not when they are playing at the moment but the pressures will come on in Australia for more uh, extended contracts to be choices to be made. There is actually a pathway now in ladies Gaelic football that doesn't exist in any of the other codes. Doesn't exist in Camogie. Doesn't exist in um, men's Gaelic football. Doesn't exist in Hurling.
2: Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with you, John. The the one thing that anybody who goes to Australia says is the the chance to experience what it's like to be a professional, and because basically, and I know it's said over and over again, like the hours that are put into intercounty are absolutely huge. But at the end of the day, you are getting up and going teaching, you are getting up and going doing whatever you're doing the next day, and just like on on that as well, the whole amateur, uh, you know, it's amateur probably a name only, like. Like, where are the farmers at inter-county level? Where are the plumbers? Where are the electricians, the builders? Like, it's just probably not feasible to be doing manual labour and playing inter-county at any level anymore. It's just, it's just not, it's not possible because you need to be resting. You need to be resting every minute you're not training. If you're putting 30 or whatever hours into it, uh, you need to be resting the rest of the time. So, like, it is, let's call a spade a spade, it is amateur in, in name only now. The amount of time that goes into it that's why um i think two or three weeks more of the intercounty calendar would be enough i don't think there's uh, i don't think we need a big six or eight week extra block grant like that i think the two or three weeks is would be more than enough i think it cuts down the pre-season which players are happy with it makes their intercounty season not you know a huge amount shorter but enough shorter for them to have a bit more time to focus on some other things outside the gaa Um, So if you're not let back till a certain time which generally teams are starting to abide by that now the preseason is four to six weeks before your league and you're ready to go then I think players are an awful lot happy with that because it had run out it had run out of control and that's not to say within that seven or eight months that they're there it's not unbelievably intense it is it's full bore and it's non-stop and yeah, listen, it's amateur, it's amateur, but it's amateur in name only. Let's call it a spade, a spade.
1: 43 goals is what Alexander Mitrovic scored for Fulham last season. He's got two today, and they're back in front now against Liverpool. 2-1 at Craven Cottage, where the 73 minutes on the watch, Alexander Mitrovic from the penalty spot. Liverpool fans, it's not going your way in the sun in London today, and Fulham are 2-1 up, so an amazing start to the season for them if it stays that way. Um you're you're disappointed? Are you dis? Why are you disappointed to me that the intercounty season's over right now? People might make the argument. Well, the clubs need their time. Um, players have had a, a long enough run. It's been a long enough road, and uh, we need to just let players go back to their clubs now.
0: Well, I'm disappointed for f- a few reasons. First of all, we have fine summer's day, okay, and you know the the, the pitches are in their best condition, and I think it's great. it would be great to see the best players in, in, in the country, you know, performing in the best conditions, and you know. Th- traditionally, July and August and September tend to be the best conditions to play football. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think from a sport point of view, if you're marketing a sport, you know, you need to it's extended. I mean, Mikey made a point about the pre-season and, you know, I, I think that's very good if they can actually abide by the rules because many clubs have, have got caught, or many counties have got caught breaking pre-season rules, even, you know, even during COVID. So I think that for me, I miss, in, in the best time of the year for football and hurling and, and, and camogie and and, and ladies' football. You know, when they should be at their, when the game's at its pump, you don't have the best players on, on the space. Second point is you're forcing the calendar, then. So, you know, you're, you're bringing in things like penalty shootouts because the reason penalty shootouts are now part of the inter county season is because of time. It's not because that the GA really wants penalty shootouts, it's because the calendar is restricted. So, you're forcing teams out into extra time and penalty shootouts. And, you know, we've had some games, you're near. You know, I remember the clear Limerick game in which went extra time. Wouldn't that have be been brilliant to have another day out to, to see that? So the calendar is restricted. So therefore, it forces things like extra time and penalty shootouts. I don't mind extra time and penalty shootouts on the second uh, drawn game. But I think after the first game, players and teams should be given the chance to have another day out to see, can they get over the and that's it. So two factors, the best weather, we don't see the best players in the country because, you know, it's finished. And we've shortened the season, which has brought in, extra time and penalties which really doesn't need to be brought in other than you have a fixture congestion
1: okay got to take a break We're going to come back with this topic with michael verney and timmy mccarthy after the news which is coming up right now
0: the saturday panel on
2: off the ball
1: this is off the ball saturday and news talk john duggan with you through to five on the saturday panel with michael verney of the irish independent the former Offaly hurler and also timmy mccarthy the uh, ex-irish basketball uh, player and coach Uh, it is Fulham 2 Liverpool 1 in the Premier League Alexander Mitrovic with two goals for Fulham one from the penalty spot Uh, Darwin Nunez scoring for Liverpool on his first Premier League start but Liverpool trailing in that one with 79 minutes on the watch we also have matches elsewhere today in the Premier League and in the Championship, so plenty to get through between now and 5 o'clock. We've got Football Saturday between 3 and 5 with Mark Lawrence and joining Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward. Really looking forward to the football. First Football Saturday of the new season and Norwich have equalised against Wiggins which now now Norwich 1. Uh, Wigan won that game at Carr Road in the Championship and let's just go through the match there and the lineups. Um, so we have James McLean uh, scoring to open the uh, scoring for Wigan. And Will Keane is also playing for them. And we have Andrew O'Mabandele playing for Norwich. So a lot of Irish and show in the championship at the moment. And Michael Verney got a text in here on 53106 about the split season and club and county and all that in your club player. Does Michael think the split season suits the elite players like TJ Reid, who goes from club to county back to club 12 months around with no break, says Conor in Limerick.
2: Uh, I don't know what about my opinion, but TJ Reid definitely doesn't like it anyway. And he said he said as much uh, in media media dealings yesterday. Uh, some some county players will will like it because it's uh, maybe a bit of a change of pace, and you're taking things down and not going back to your club. Uh, depends if you, John, if you go on a long club run, it's it's a, it's a twelve month it's a twelve month gig. If you're going all the way to the All Ireland Club Final, uh, Barron your manager, your county manager gives you a Mo Salah.
1: I scored for Liverpool 2-2. Two, two. Sorry, coming
2: down, coming down the wing. and My WhatsApp group is flying here. Um, yeah, no, listen. Depends how far your club goes, John. If you go on an Ireland club run or a Leinster campaign or a Munster campaign, your season's going to be pretty long. And it needs a lot of management by your inter-county manager to make sure that you're getting a break before you go back in. Um, uh, the, the thing about the split season is, though, John, it's not technically really built for the elite player it's built for the other 97 or 98% that, and that's why the club has been put centre stage during that time Do you agree with it? I do I do agree with it I just think I think two to three more weeks to let things breathe a small bit like, like from a working point of view you were the same John you went from all-Ireland hurling Ireland final weekend and all the build-up uh, all the build-up I, I
1: had a great time I tell you that that last three weeks I had a great time going on the All-Ireland <laughs> circuit I was out, out of the Dublin carry game I was out at the uh, obviously you're working during the week and you're building up to it but then it's over it's actually if, if, you, if you're actually covering the sport if you're following sport it's great because the only thing you need to worry about now is soccer
2: yeah, well, a fair fair point. Yeah, I just think it needs another. I think it needs another week or two to breed. Like between the two All Ireland finals, they probably have a week between an extra week between them. Uh, there was a time there in probably early May where there were that many games going on that it was hard to keep up with what was going on. Things just need to breed a bit. And yet Kerry have a four week break, and yet Limerick have a four week break. So I think that needs to be refined a bit more. But I, I like anybody calling for All Ireland to go back to September just don't see it happening um, I think this will be tweaked and it'll yeah. they'll come to a kind of a happier resolution for all but I definitely think the split season is here to stay
1: Fulham 2 Liverpool 2 I've no issue with the split season I think it's good for club players my issue is all these preliminary competitions earlier in the year in the county level yeah. that don't mean as much all these McGrath Cups and Walsh Cups I'm sure they're brilliant in, our, in, in their own in their own right but if you're squeezing as Timmy said penalty shootouts an extra time as at the Clare Limerick game you know the benefit, the obvious benefit of having a Clare Limerick replay in the Munster hurland final, filling Semple Stadium, fifty-four thousand people again, or whatever the attendance is, and getting the the, the significant gate receipts to put back into the association at the club game. We'd all be down there for the second day. I don't really understand it. Like I don't understand like the league. To be honest, is a meaningless competition compared to the championship. You need to have a season starting later in the year, March or April and having a bigger championship with matches played until August in good weather. That's the...
2: John, yeah, i been trying to incorporate league into championship in some way Yeah, well, well, the Champions
1: League is the yeah. obvious thing for football, but Congress, you know, was too conservative around that last year uh, because yeah, the provincial councils were well too well. strong.
2: It didn't happen, but it, if it had happened and the All-Ireland Finals had been ended in draws and gone to extra time, like, I just, I, I wouldn't be able to handle extra time in an All-Ireland Final. If you get that far you need another day They potentially could have been decided an extra time wouldn't have been penalties first day out but it could have been penalties second day out all Ireland finals in particular like that has to go to a replay and from an association point of view as you say from the financial point of view you'd imagine you know you'd imagine they'd be loving that yeah
1: but it, it, I think it was 73 million was the last figure I saw before Covid of what they were generating. they're putting back into the association I'd love to see what the figure's going to be for a season like this season um because the gate receipts are going to be down if you're having less replays and if you're squeezing things in. Now next year they'll they'll have you know more football matches and in the kind of the latter stages and groups and that kind of thing. But uh, look, it's it's probably a conversation for another day, and I don't want to bore people about it. But um, it is an interesting uh, conversation because there's no inter county like all these stars like about Shane Walsh David Clifford. We're not going to see them again now until next February March, which I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, we're just going to speak about rivalries because. Uh, when did they get too far? Max Verstappen was this week criticizing Red Bull fans who burned Lewis Hamilton merchandise. So um, perhaps if they were nicer to each other, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Perhaps it's just a, you know, a, 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 you know, the feature of society these days. I and mean, fair play to Max for calling uh, Lewis out. But is something to me, a rivalry, only a rivalry when it's bitter.
0: No, it's not only when it's bitter. I mean, there are, there are many great rivalries that, you know, but the, there is always a, 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 an angle to it, though, the rivalries. If you, I mean, if you think across, across a lot of sports, right? I mean, so my, my, in my life, one of the big rivalries was cork Hibs and Cork-Celtic in the, in the League of Ireland in the 70s. I was a teenager and... Um, you know, that was a huge rivalry, but there was no bitterness. Like, we wanted... I was a Capes fan and, you know, my friends were Celtic fans, so I wanted them to lose and they wanted us to lose. But there was no real bitterness in this. I mean, if you think of some of the other rivals, Boston Celtics and LA Lakers and, 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 the, and the NBA was phenomenal rivalry in that sense. And So I don't believe rivalries have to be bitter um, to to be to be a rivalry. Cork and Kerry in football or Cork and Tip and Hawley would be two other ones that would come to mind from my perspective in that sense. But I do believe at times... And it, it, it could be a society. I do believe in any time, um, p- some people take it over the top. Some people go a step too far in trying to prove their loyalty to one side or disloyalty to the other side, in, in that sense. And then you end up with burning your jerseys and that type of uh, stupidity, really, in that sense. So I think rivalries have to have an edge, though. I think there needs to be an edge. There needs to be a competitive edge. There needs to be, you know, it must mean something to get something over on, on your opponents. I mean, in my career... With Blue Demons, Neptune were our big rivals, and you know if we beat them or they beat us, you know you you had bragging rights. It was a big thing in in, in Cork in in the eighties in basketball. It was you know you had big bragging rights for for the period until you got a chance to to turn over to turn them over at the next time. So it must have an edge. It must mean something. It must mean a lot to the players in the first instance, in management, and um, and it must mean a lot then to the supporters uh, in that sense, be it hurling, football, soccer, basketball, whatever sport. But it doesn't have to be bitter. I think. I, I think. I, I think there's no need for bitterness in any sport. Yeah. I think that there should be competitiveness. There should be edge. There should be toughness. Fierce. Fierceness. But it should be, you know, it should be all for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, I think edge and dislike are acceptable. I think hate is when it goes over the line, doesn't it, Michael?
2: Yeah. Um, I I don't condone any of that type of shenanigans. But I have to say, I think bitter is better uh, when Ooh. There's the bitterness there between. Uh, like look at look at look at F1. We're talking about Verstappen and Hamilton now. Look at Frost and Senna. There was there was a bit there was a bitterness there. Look at uh, James Hunt and Nicky Lauda and anybody that's seen Rush will see the bitterness that's there. Look at Schumacher. Uh, look at Schumacher and Hill and I'll never forget. It was what was I? I was eight years old watching that race in Adelaide when Schumacher basically took him out. And like there was a bitterness. There was an edge to that. As long as it's you know as long as it's left on the track or on the pitch or wherever. You know, I think I think it's somewhat acceptable, but like not being smart, I'm I'm a GA man. Like there's there's bitter club rivalries everywhere, but we'd still go down and drink a pint or do whatever with them after the game and shake hands with them. But as long as it's somewhat, you know, there's an edge or a bitterness between the white lines and it's not taken outside of the white lines, like I think it's acceptable. Like I'll put it to you this way: What did we talk? What was one of the biggest talking points of the GA season? It was two handshakes because. It looked there was it looked like there was something amiss in it, and yeah, that got us talking. And we're talking at other like Davy Fitz and Brian Lawn. There was an edge to that, and that, like it just it creates an interest, an interest. Like the, the old saying, the controversy creates cash, and it just it just creates that interest and that buy in. Like I would buy into I or go, the Armagh
1: Galway thing, the Armagh Galway thing at the end. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that's that's you know that's that's going the other side of the line but I I wouldn't have watched too much F1 until recent years and then this kind of rivalry is coming and you're just not sure what you're going to see each week because there's an edge and a needle between them and I think that draws in when you can draw in your casual follower I think you know an edge and a needle can do that
1: yeah I think the Actually the great thing about the handshakes that we we even talk about that is how great the GA supporters are with each other, that they mingle together, that they go to matches together. I think they're the best fans in the world. I like it you just wouldn't get Liverpool and Man United fans within and asses roar of each other because there's there's such a bad edge, and, and you got even like some small minority, like in, in horrific chance of a Hillsborough, Munich, that kind of thing.
2: Because you know that picture, John, where Sean O'Shea is kicking the free, yeah. and you can see the, the fans in the background, and there's a, a a Dublin guy with his arm around a Kerry guy, and like you just you wouldn't see it in another sport.
1: No, you know? no, you wouldn't. That's amazing. You know, it was. Uh, no, but like I was half an hour later after that game, I was in the pub on Amien Street and we were all just together. I think it was just it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think of the great rivalries uh, to me, like the New York Sox, uh, New York sorry, Yan- the Yankees and the Red Sox of Boston. And that was a, a you know, a Freudian slip. Um, we also have Celtic Rangers. We also have, you know, Nadal and Federer in tennis was amazing, but there was a very nice rivalry. Mm.
0: Yeah, they were they, they were they were nice rivalries. I mean, to, you know, take Nadal and Federal, you know, there was no edge. There was no. I mean, if you take Michael, I'm saying edge. Mike saying business. We're kind of saying the same thing, I suppose, with slightly different words. But the the great rivalries I mean, Barcelona Madrid is a great rivalry, you know, in, in that sense. But um I mean, Boston Celtics and Lakers was a phenomenal rivalry in in, in the NBA. You, sport needs rivalries, you know. I mean, just, you, know, you look at Liverpool Everton, for example. You know, in a local sense, it's a big rivalry, but on the big sense, it's not on, on the big stage. It's not a big rivalry on the big stage, the neutral stage. Liverpool United is a bigger rivalry in, in that sense. But sports needs rivalries. I mean, growing up in Cork, okay, um, and we were getting beat probably most years by Kerry, but it was a big rivalry. Cork Kerry football was a huge rivalry, and Cork tip hurling. They were the two rivalries that I grew up in, in, in a GA sense, from that point of view. So, when you went to uh, Semple Stadium, or we went to Fitzgerald's Park in Killarney, there was an edge. You know, you wanted to get it over them. And as I said, in the football, we rarely got it over them. In the hurling, we thankfully did get it over them more, more often than not in my time. So, I believe I love rivalries. I, I love a situation where, you know, your opponent could be a rival. It could be a one on one situation, even in a team sport. You know, there could be a competitive edge between you and, and your opponent. It could be a between the teams. It could be between the parishes. It could be between the counties. So I love having rivalries, and I think that in my lifetime the big ones from a Cork point of view were Cork Kerry, Cork Tip, Boston Celtics, Lakers, an incredible rivalry. And then in the soccer you called out, I mean, we, Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, United. Um, and I'm trying to think as a Chelsea fan, but it's, it probably would have been John Chelsea Spurs. But again, fortunately, in, 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 to date we've got more results, uh, and uh, that will change. That will change. Don't don't break my heart on the South John. That, that and say will that. change.
1: That will change. <laughs> Uh, five three one zero six. John, can you avoid interrupting your guests? We can wait until they're finished before a goal update is very annoying. Says John and Nimer. John, like if they're Liverpool fans listening, we just want to be the first to let them know. So I, I do accept your point. We just want to be the first to let them know if Mohamed has scored the moment the ball goes into the net. You know, so it is two all in that game against Fulham. Um, Ferguson was always friendly with managers that posed no threat, whereas he was very frosty with the other top four managers. Says Owen. And is the problem uh, Michael Verney that we don't market the club game to compete with other sports? Some of the best games I've seen in recent years have been at the club level. Says James.
2: Yeah, it's been some deadly club games. You only have to go back to like the, the finale of... of Harry Ruddle. Bally- yeah, yeah, like, yeah, there you go. Um, I actually I was looking through this because I actually forgot his second name because I was thinking about trivia for the end of the year. You're looking at who was the, the hero of the All-Ireland final and I look back at it. It was obviously Harry Ruddle. Unbelievable. And it was like... Someone had a tweet out, you know, TJ Reid's semi-final free over Thomas's and Harry Ruddle just goes and tops it. Like, some of the most dramatic things that we've seen in the GA over the last, God knows how long, since the club really started, since TG 4 really started showing all the games, have been club games, some unbelievable performances. You look at players have probably taken um, their legendary status to an even higher level through performances at the club. I'm thinking even Tony Kelly, Joe Canning, uh, Brendan Maher, even with Boris Ali, these sort of guys. Patrick Maher would say with, with Turla Sars, Um Just it, it is a local thing, but we we could do an awful lot more to promote those games a lot more. I like the fact that you know, even in Larry McCarthy's speech when he was given handing over the the Sam Maguire to to Joe O'Connor and Sean O'Shea, that he talks about you know the most important.
1: Yeah, part, I didn't like that. Uh, I, I
2: I the most important one the most important part of the season is kicking off now where it goes back to grassroots and clubs are at it now but they need to like it's, it's one thing saying it but they need to back that up with you know whatever promotion is needed to give the club game even more of a boost on a national level not just on a you know a local parochial level
1: Wow Liverpool hit the bar in the last minute of uh, stoppage time oh my god still 2-2 against Fulham at Craven College, nearly Liverpool winner there It's <laughs> all happened on air and off the ball Saturday and we got football Saturday from three to five as well um, just want to ask you this as well Michael what about the club rivalries in Wicklow GA that's held the county team back from ever winning that things as Paul and Wicklow
2: that's that's not just Wicklow that would have been a common team like uh, in Offaly that would have definitely been a problem uh, I remember like St Brendan's had won a uh, colleges all Ireland and Banaher had won a vocational schools uh, be All-Ireland and Padra Whelan, the manager, had to come into the dressing room with the Offaly Miners who went on to win three All-Irelands for four years and had to basically like, nearly lift lads up away from their own club mates, uh, because there was a, a Rhinus click here and there was a Borough click here and that's, you know, you just will not win anything at county level uh, when that's the case. Like The Limerick lads will go hammer and tongs with each other in the Limerick Championship but once they step across the white line They'll go and enjoy each other's company that night. They'll go back in. There will be no festering um, rivalries or clashes or anything like that when they go back into county. And that is still a problem in some counties. And um, Wicklow is probably a a fairly good example um, of that. Um, It's just something that a manager has to nip in the bud. And club managers, uh, while, uh, while fostering an edge in a game, they have to make sure that that edge does not exist. When they leave the white lines and that those guys are able to go in and represent their county and be shoulder to shoulder with guys that they were you know clashing with a, a club level before that
1: a 53106 uh, paul and cork's been in touch given Chelsea's storied history and strong english nationalism in the 70s and 80s for example tony cascarino signing as an irishman was not welcomed how did timmy find himself as a chelsea fan in ireland
0: well i've told this story before john so i can bore people again with the story but basically it comes down to george best so in the my first time watching television, um, from Cork was we'd only see the Europe the European Cup, a uh, Cup Winners Cup, the Fairs Cup, and the FA Cup Final on television in Cork, and um, the first team I ever saw win anything was a team led by George Best. They won 4-1, um, in '68, and then the next team I saw win was Chelsea beat Leeds, uh, in Old Trafford in the replay 2-1, and I thought this team always won because they wore navy blue. United won navy blue in that uh, European Cup Final. So I thought this team in Navy Blue always won. So I said i better start following them. And then I had 30 years of hardship for making that decision. So I blame George Best for following Chelsea.
1: Very good. Very good. Uh, just to finish, um, Live Golf um, is doing my head in. Uh, maybe other p- people as well. Maybe people are bored by the thing, though. But as uh, Tiger Wood shown, uh, Michael Verney, that prestige and legacy and competition is more important than money, apparently turning down 700 to $800 million uh, to go to Live.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's a big statement, and probably a statement that golf probably needed. They needed somebody like that to make a statement like that. Um, yeah, listen, there's probably a lot of golfers that have tarnished a reputation. Golfers that you know, you, me, and a lot of other people who would probably have enjoyed watching in Ryder Cups and enjoyed the, the, uh, the, you know, the buzz they bring to it, the energy and enthusiasm they bring to it. But like, you can't just turn a blind eye to. You no, know, essentially, if they said they were filling their pockets and this is purely a financial decision, you know, you may be, be able to have somewhat respect for them, but the fact that they're glassing over, like, this is purely a financial decision. and Trying to defend anything that's going on in Saudi Arabia is, like, it's defending the indefensible. So I'd be, I'd have more respect for these guys if they actually just stood up and said what was the actual reasoning behind them signing. And I think... Uh, you know tiger and others God, we're going to see more we're going to see more moving over the next while and even to um you know they they got the big presenter there uh, Fearty is after moving over as well which is a big de- you know that's a big deal um but i i def- i won't be watching anyway um it's still just it's be the majors that i'd still be watching and but maybe golf is going to be the quality of golf is going to be eroded significantly as a result of this and It'd be amazing to see. I, I'd just love to be having this conversation in five years, see where golf is in yeah, five years. This is totally changing the game at the moment.
1: Well, it's a it's a, a, an attempt to take over by the Saudis with Greg Norman as their point man. Um, and he's got a lot of resentment about the fact that his World Tour idea was scuppered three decades ago. Uh, so he's hell-bent on using this money to sign these players and fracture the tour and possibly take over golf will be impossible to do so with the four majors and the prestige they have but it'll only be about four weeks a year if this continues to go this way so Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy deserve a lot of credit for standing up to this Um in a way in almost like the world is grey Timmy McCarthy like you know not every country in the world uh, is pure Um the, the DP World Tour the European Tour had a tournament to Saudi Arabia only a few years ago these players could ar- argue they're independent contractors they should be able to play wherever they want so Joe Biden does business with Saudi Arabia he was fist pumping MBS not too long ago so You know, there is a degree of hypocrisy to a lot of these arguments. Um, You know, golf is played in certain countries in the world that have got questionable issues. Um, My issue with the whole live thing is the fact that there's a takeover for exhibition golf and sport to me is about prestige and heritage and competition and beating the best and playing against the best and the money should be a byproduct of that, not the main focus.
0: So I I would agree, John, with some of your sentiments. I, I think the live golf situation is very interesting. I think that some of the early players that went out, went out for money and, and came up with concocted stories about everything else, right? I think DeChambeau and Kepke came out and said, we took the money. I mean, they just came out as clear, clearly and said they took the money in that sense. I think it's kind of easy for Tiger to turn out 800 million when he probably has, you know, a billion in the bank account. So, you know, but Tiger's about the legacy of the game and that's what, you know, you have to admire in, in his context. My concern for golf is a few things. First of all, they're independent traders. And you're right, there is hypocrisy. In professional sport, there's a lot of hypocrisy because it comes down to, to revenue, it comes down to people getting paid big salaries, big big fees, etc. And people have gone to Saudi Arabia previously for invitational tournaments and exhibition tournaments and taking big money. So even though now they're staying on, on the PGA Tour. But I do believe if you take a vast amount of players out of uh, the PGA and DP to, uh, World Tour, particularly the PGA Tour, to the Live Tour, it dilutes the majors if they're not allowed to play in it. So if you have guys like Kepke, Dustin Johnson, DeChambeau, and others who may follow in that sense, it's starting to dilute the majors. And that's where, if you take Michael's point in five years' time, they have to fix this solution. Greg Norman is probably the worst guy in the case of his failed effort three, uh, three decades ago to be you because know, he's antagonizing to the PGA and antagonizing to the RNA. So so that's a challenge for, for the Live Tour. But it's exhibition golf. I mean, if you think you, you come last in, in, in the, in the, tour, the three-day tournament and you get a couple hundred thousand. And, you know, so some guys in the DP world are wi- getting that for winning. So it's a real issue financially. But my issue with it is that golf needs to have the best players competing for the majors to maintain the legacy of the majors. And if you start to exclude people, irrespective of their decision to go one way or the other in a world where tours have gone and played um, and players have gone and played, in places like Saudi Arabia and other places, in that sense, then you end up diluting the sport, and that's my big concern for golf: is that they need to find out, figure a way out to allow the best players in the world, who are professional players, irrespective of what tour they're on, to compete for the majors. If you're to maintain the integrity of the majors, think about an adjacency and an essence an right? And let's just use, you know, hurling at this point in. time. Imagine that you know you have a situation where you say that Limerick and Kilkenny. Have the biggest benefactors, okay, in the next 10 years. Um, and then because the benefactors may have a question mark about them, you exclude them from the All Ireland. All you're doing is diluting the All Ireland. That will never happen, obviously, in the GA sense, but it's happening right now in golf.
1: Okay, Timmy McCarthy. Um, I suppose one thing that they will have the exemptions, but those exemptions won't last forever. So, appreciate your time, Timmy McCarthy, former Irish uh, team basketball captain and coach, and Michael Verney of the Irish Independent. Have a great Saturday. Have a great weekend, folks, and thanks for coming on the Saturday panel. Thanks, Good to
0: John. See you, John. Cheers, Timmy. Good talk to you, Mike. Cheers, guys. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball.